Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Curiosity, uh, I don't know how many of you have uh, checked that we have a Facebook page as part of Church Central North. And on there a few days ago, I put a little clue as to the book that we're going to be going through today. I know it's been mentioned once or twice so far. And it's on the screen behind me. So there's no way that anyone's not going to know what book we're going through. It is the book of Jonah. Uh, now, I know many people, when you say the book of Jonah, you tend to wind back if you grew up in church to think, oh, this is the one about the fish. And you'd be quite right, it does involve a fish. But this morning we're going to be looking at what else we might learn from this book. So over the next two months we're going to be looking at different books in the Old Testament, the prophets. Uh, And Jonah was a prophet. Um, Now I'm going to tell a little bit about the sort of style of this book and the structure and the background to start with. The style, it's a narrative book, it's a story. And that the prophets in the Old Testament and now are people that hear what God is saying and they communicate it and they speak it to the people on earth. But Jonah, as a prophet, in the, as a prophetic book, a book about prophets in the Old Testament, is slightly different to the other prophet books because basically with those ones, you're looking at what is God saying to God's people at this time. And it's all about what God is saying. But the book of Jonah is we're actually looking at the guy's life. We're looking at a story. So it is a book about a prophet, but it's not the same as the other prophetic books, if that makes some sense. Uh, The structure of the book, it's split into four chapters. You've got chapter one, a bit of a story, the narrative, what's going on. And this is about the guy's willful disobedience. And then you've got chapter two, which is his dialogue or his prayer with God. And then you go chapter three again, we're back into the story. And then you've got chapter four. This is his, uh, com- um, his conversation with God. Chapter three, the story is about his reluctant obedience. You've got willful disobedience, part one. And then you've got his reluctant obedience in the sort of second part of the story, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time. In the background, Jonah's only mentioned once Uh, before this book in the Bible, and that was during the reign of this really bad king, Jeroboam II, where Jonah basically prophesied in favour of the Israelite nation. There's some trouble brewing in the north. Oh, don't worry, God's going to shore this up. It's all going to be fine. We can can take them. It'll all be okay. But actually what happens is Jeroboam is very disobedient and doesn't honour God. And so 30 years after, God raises up another prophet, Amos, who says, no, no, you have not done what God wants. And so the prophecy that Jonah brought then never actually came about. So you might be a little bit suspicious of Jonah uh, if you're kind of very clued up, but most of us wouldn't have known that, and that's absolutely fine. And so here's a couple tips for not just reading Jonah, but for reading any Old Testament book I've found. Uh, Personally, I do take this as a real story. Uh, I think Jesus would have read it as a real story. Uh, and as we read, we should be mindful that there's only one Israelite guy in this story. So I think he's a representative of God's people as a whole. So while he's an individual, I think he also represents God's people as a whole. 
And that also includes Christians, or you and me, if you're a believer this morning. And it's often helpful about how, to think about how we might relate to him as an individual, but also how that affects us more corporately as well. I've got this illustration this week, which is quite helpful. So the book of Jonah, you've got the individual man, Jonah. He's just one man, and you might look at him and think, well, I relate to stories a bit like him. Like, in terms of, I've encountered a storm, or I've probably never been inside a fish, I hope. But you might think, well, actually, there's aspects of this guy's life as we look through that I can relate to on an individual level. But there's also this sort of next layer where Jonah sits inside of it. As part of God's uh, family, we're looking at what is going on for the, for the nation of Israel, for the community around him. And we might want to think about that and how we interact with other people that maybe aren't part of our community. But inside of that, about what's going on at the time, you've got this kind of cosmic story, which is about how God, this amazing creator of the universe, is restoring and reconciling and bringing every person in the whole of humanity for all time back to himself. And so it's helpful to have those kind of three tiers as we read the Bible, because it helps us think, actually, I might miss something on an individual level, but I understand something of the character of God on a more cosmic level. Or you might kind of miss the cosmic thing because you get too drawn into the nitty-gritty of the individual, if that makes sense. So while you read that, I'm trusting that you're not just going to reflect on it just this morning. I want to encourage you to read, it's only four chapters, when you say read the book of Jonah for yourselves in your quiet times over the next week or so, and hopefully you'll be blessed as well. Okay, without much further ado, let's get into the story. I'm going to read it, because I wasn't organised enough to get someone else to do it, and it's probably too late at this point to ask someone. So, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord held a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Quick side, have we mentioned storms this morning? Yeah, I thought so. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. They threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. All this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. And the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why is this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the land and the sea. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, 
Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is my fault. But instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. The stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. And they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, please don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah's inside the fish for three days and three nights. That's the end of chapter one, and we'll look at chapter three in a few weeks. Maybe we'll look at the prayer that Jonah prays, chapter two, in life group or something. But I'm going to pull up three points for us this morning. There's some very bad news for us in this chapter. There's some better news for us in this chapter, and then there's the best news for us in this chapter. So number one, the bad news. Jonah is worse than we hoped he would be. Jonah runs. Tarshish was a city that was in the opposite direction to where God had called him to go. If he could have gone further, he probably would have. It was like the only place in known civilization that he knew was furthest in that way when God told him to go that way. The Jews generally weren't a seafaring nation. Uh, and so they probably, it's kind of, I think it shows the kind of obstinance that Jonah's going through. He's like, I'll do absolutely anything to avoid doing what you've told me to do. So it leaves us asking the question straight away. Why did Jonah want to avoid the call of God? Well, some people say that Jonah was just an out-and-out racist. And it was his racism that drove him to disobey God and go his own way. And some people say he would do all he could to avoid non-God people. Sometimes we use the word Gentiles. That means like not part of God's chosen family. He did all he could to avoid these people because he didn't like them. He hated them. But I have some sympathy for Jonah here. I've no doubts actually that he was racist towards the Ninevites. But when we consider Jonah's new life, I'm not, I'm not, just to be really clear, I'm not sympathetic to racism. It's wrong and it's offensive. But we'll understand how some of that stuff can come about. When we consider Jonah's new life plan was to leave the nation of Israel, the, the, the place, which the physical place, which was basically how they understood that this is the dwelling place of God in this special area. It's really important that we, that we belong here as God's people. He's choosing to leave what he understands as the dwelling place of God and go to a Gentile city. And to get there, he's going to get on a boat with Gentile people and spend the rest of his days in a Gentile city. I, I, you know, I think... It shows us something about the fact that it's not just about the fact he hates people that aren't part of God's family, if that makes some sense. So what was the problem specifically with the Ninevites? Well, the Ninevites were part of an empire called Assyria. You may have known this from your history lessons, but we're going to get... Is there any babies in here that can understand what I'm saying, or young children? Because it's going to get a bit graphic. No, I I think Lucy's probably small enough to not understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Now, the Assyrians weren't liked by most people, not even themselves, given how they made some of their laws. People would have their noses, ears, or lips cut off for relatively minor offences. Their husbands were allowed to beat their wives. People that committed the capital offences, and there were a lot of them, 
were usually skewered on poles and left to die slowly around the city. They skinned their captors alive and built mountains out of their skulls. They threw babies off of the city walls onto the rocks below so they could never grow up to avenge their fathers. They forced the relatives of beheaded individuals to carry their heads around the city on a stick and they sometimes would chop off both legs and one arm of a victim to mockingly shake their hand before they killed them. These are not nice people. And suddenly we might understand a little bit about why Jonah would have been a bit nervous to go and preach the gospel to Nineveh. In Nahum, Nineveh is referred to as the city of blood. And I think we can understand why. We're not actually told exactly why uh, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. It could have been pride, a sense of, well, I'm God's special person. Uh, They're not, and so I'm more important. It could have been racism, or it could have been fear, or it could have been a mixture of all of those things. But the, the main point is, he hasn't done what God's asked him to do. It's a matter of obedience. And before we judge Jonah on being disobedient, I wonder, if God called you right now and said, I've got a message for you to sell all you've got and go and preach to ISIS. There's going to be a cost involved. But don't worry, this is what I've called you to do. I think sometimes we might just stop ourselves at that moment and think, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. In fact, just on that note, I've got a friend in the city and in the last two weeks, uh, he's been preaching the gospel, sharing his faith, and he's had death threats for being willing to share his faith in the city of Birmingham, threatened to be stoned or beheaded. And something's happening for my friend right now because he's got this tension. He's got a fear, a legitimate fear, for his life and the safety of his family. But he's also fueled by a faith in God. This actually seems to motivate him even more to share that news. It's funny how that works, isn't it? That's challenging for me when I'm, when I'm reading this. And it should be a pro- pro- provocation to you as well. So is Jonah wrong to run? The answer is a resounding yes. He was ru- uh, wrong to run, but we might understand a little bit about why. But here's a good encouraging bit in this bad bit. God had watched and waited, and he saw every single step that Jonah had taken. So Jonah flees, he gets on this boat, And as a result of his disobedience, God sends this fierce storm. And where do we find our godly chosen man when the storm comes? He's asleep. When the storm comes, all the sailors are crying out to their gods in desperation. But Jonah, our man of God, isn't praying like the other sailors. He's asleep, oblivious, totally unaware of what is happening around him. Jonah is worse than we hoped he might be. He's not offering us a model of how we should live in this story. <coughs> we might not be talking about evil empires that make us hang sticks on poles. We might not talk, be talking about big fish that come and swallow us up or storms while we're sailing. We not, might not be running from God in a literal sense. But actually, if we're called to make King Standing a place where people talk about Jesus who know and experience him if we wanted to see it, if we want to see King Standing impacted by the gospel, it actually starts with us 
Just being faithful and obedient. For example, here's a practical thing, and maybe you can think of your own thing that relates to you. This week, Zoe's challenged me on my tone of voice with my kids and my rather swift discipline techniques. Apparently, I constantly sound irritated, which I can't imagine. So, <laughs> um, As a father, God has called me uh, into a responsibility, not to embitter my children, but to train them in the way they should go, to teach them about Jesus by modelling some of his grace and his love and his kindness. Not out of frustration, it's something I've been forced to engage with God in, especially because I'm doing this. I'm like, oh, okay, but <laughs> kind of figure this out. But it's a, I was, I'm giving it to you because it's a practical way that I can show you that there was something of a running away from God and his responsibility on my life instead of embracing it and walking through it. And the reason is, very simply, because it's easier to shout at my kids when I'm frustrated and have an easier life than it is to take the longer path of explaining every reason why they shouldn't run into the road without me, or why they need to put their shoes on ready for school on time. Does that make sense? It's a practical thing, but it's a very real thing. I'm sure each one of us would have our own ways that we attempt to run away from God. For some of us, it will be a very deliberate running. There will be sin in our life, things that we know offend God, and we're like, yeah, listen, I know I've got this little aspect of my life that I'm keeping to myself. Um, but I just can't face the idea of having to hand that over to you, so I'm just going to keep hold of this. And it's like there's this wrestling match every time it happens. He's like, oh, this is a very active disobedience to God, which isn't okay, and we have to do business with that. And thankfully, at the end, we'll see how we can do that, and it's encouraging, and it's good, and it's safe, and it's fun. Sometimes it's, it's more of a passive one. It's like we're sleeping in the boat like Jonah. We're not even bothered about what God might be saying to us. Don't even seek God about what to do with our time or our money or what it is to build his kingdom here in King Standing. Right, so Jonah's rubbish, isn't he? He's not doing very well. But sailors, this is the good bit. This is where the news gets a bit better. The sailors are better than we realise. They're quick to cry out to God, and they're quick to care for others. So after Jonah runs away, full of that boat of unbelievers, who we thought he once didn't like any of them, but it turns out he's all right with them, the storm's raging. These sailors, their first reaction is to cry out to God. And there's something of this quite humbling approach, I think, about they're aware of their need for God's help and how quickly they seem to pray. I don't know, have you ever been humbled by someone? You sort of talk about your faith, it's like, it's all good, yeah, but I'm just having a bit, just feeling a bit hard at the moment at work, I'm just a bit tired. And then they, they, they're not Christians, they go, oh, well, you're a Christian, have you prayed about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I prayed about this one. Yeah, God was a bit silent on that actually. Uh, like we haven't even bothered to pray, and it happens all the time. Verse five: Fearing for their lives, these desperate sailors shouted their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten their ship. So, bearing in mind the gods they're talking about here would have been gods of wine, fertility, agriculture. So it's kind of no wonder. I kind of read the story. I was thinking it's a bit like this. Oh dear God of the goats, please save us from this storm. And the next guy's like, oh, that's not working. Cry out to the God of fertility. Oh, God of fertility, please help us with this storm. It's like, no, nah, that ain't going to cut it. It's not going to work. Actually, it's not working. None of these gods are working. Jonah, who's your God? Oh, he's the one who made the sea. <laughs> kind of, it's like, ah, oh, okay. Well, why haven't you been praying? Like, what are you doing? 
In a moment of crisis, when crisis comes, or these storms we've been singing about this morning, actually it's quite surprising, it's not, not very surprising actually, that we often hear of our friends who we've thought are atheists their whole entire lives, suddenly on their knees crying out to God. It's not surprising that you see hospital chapel rooms constantly with people in because people are aware of their own mortality. And they're aware that we don't have the answers to fix the problems around us. So not only should you and I be more ready to pray and seek God, but I think we should also remember that those around us are actually more receptive and more willing to seek God than we might realise. And that should give us, I think, some encouragement. And they're quicker to care for those around them. So in addition to their kind of quick faith to seek divine help, there's a practical expression of their care. They were lightening the ship, they were doing the work. Jonah was fast asleep. They threw the cargo overboard. And even more remarkably, when Jonah's outed himself, it's basically saying, yeah, listen, it's my God who's the one that can fix all of this stuff. I don't care, and I'm sleeping. Even then, they try and row the ship to shore. It's like, no, I don't want you to die, Jonah. Come on. And they're trying to save the guy through their own strength, which we know doesn't work. There's something in the character and the heart of these sailors that I've just really got an affection for in this story. And they come across really, really well. These are, I think we should be reading this as, these are not people in the kingdom of God so far. And these are moral, upright people. And it brings a a challenge, I think, because sometimes I think we can wear up a Christian badge which is holier than thou, and everything I do is wonderful, and everything you do is inferior. It's just not the case, actually. We should should wrestle with some of those things. We should be challenged by those around us. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. People often might sort of make a vow in the midst of a dangerous sort of situation, or, you know, kind of, Planes going down quick. Ah, I love you, God. But the plane sort of steady. So I'm sort of just don't know how that slipped out of my mouth. <laughs> but I don't think we see that with these guys. They make a vow and they seem to stick to it afterwards. What's happened here is they've encountered the real God and have been saved through that process. By the way, because of Jonah, who's done nothing, he has been useless. Andrew Wilson describes Jonah as the worst missionary ever. (laughs) He's not only not preached to the people he was supposed to preach to in Nineveh, when he tried not to preach to the people that he was around, they all end up getting saved. I mean, it's just baffling, isn't it? And if you know the end of the story, it gets even more comical with how he responds. It just, it comes to the end now, it brings me to a God who, despite my best efforts in my own obstinance and disobedience, is still willing to persevere and see his kingdom built in the lives of those around him. It might not feel like that, guys, all the time, and I, I get that. But we have a God who cares about saving people. And even if we've been disobedient, even if we've gone our own way, he's got plans and purposes that he's kind of swirling around. It's like, no, I'll sort this out. I'm going to bring something good out of this situation. And you might think, oh, it's not very good for Jonah, is it? Guy gets lumped into, into the ocean. But that's the whole point. I'm, I'm not going into the sort of sake, the salvation of Jonah in this too much today. 
I think it's clear. God has sent the storm, not as like a punishment to Jonah. He sent it as a method of grace. Stop running away from me. Mate, you're not going any further. You're coming back, mate. I'm bringing you back. We're going to make our way through this together. There's actually a really remarkable heart of God in that moment where we suddenly think, do you know what? Every time I stuff up and make a mistake, the enemy would say to me, I'm getting further and further away from God and there's no turning back now. But God's just like, do you know what? I'm going to do something so crazy. I'll send us a massive fish that's a guzzle the guy up and bring him back. There's no different for you and me. So if you're feeling like you're lost and you're far away, the story's not done yet. So be encouraged. God's on your case, and that's good. Right, finally, let's look at the character of God himself. This is the great, great news that we can see. This is, if you think of the Russian dolls, this is the big cosmic bit. This is where we understand something called this wonderful God. A few things we can learn about God. Number one, he speaks. Verse one, the Lord gave a message to Jonah, son of Amittai. He speaks seemingly out of nowhere to someone who seemingly is rather insignificant. And despite his not really even wanting to hear it, God still speaks. God's heart for the lost people of Nineveh, or brackets, King Standing, if you want, leads him out, leads him to call out, sorry, and instruct his people to go and bring the good news of God to those that don't yet know. Now, I don't know, if you heard the voice of God, God speaks, that's clear from the story, you might think, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a known prophet, so why would he speak to me? Actually, what Zoe said this morning, God speaks to us all the time through his word. And sometimes we think of our calling, like, oh, what's my grand calling in life? Like, what's the, what's the specific call that God has for me? And we get lost with the stuff up here, rather than just the basic stuff of being a good husband, father, colleague, employee. So we're called to be a, a light in the darkness, to preach the gospel and pray for the lost and heal the sick. There's a couple of things. Just read the New Testament, it's full of it. It's not easy, but you can't read the Bible and think, oh, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't think. And as a church, we, we kind of hear the voice of God for a, on a community level. One of the reasons I think God's placed us here in King's Standing is because there's a whole group of people, they're not as bad as the Ninevites and the Assyrians, but they're away from God. They don't yet know him. And I want to see them more of the sailors than I do the Assyrians, but it might feel to us like we're going to Assyria, when actually we're on the boat. And it won't happen if we're actively disobedient or passively sleeping through the process as well. I believe as a church, God's calling us into a new chapter to encounter and engage with those that are not yet in his family. And it's been so encouraging over the last few years to see different people coming in, more and more people moving into the area, considering and being able to suddenly start thinking and planning, how do we spend our time and our resources in a way that's really going to serve this area and draw people to him? So last couple of things. God pursues, I mentioned that a minute ago. He held this powerful wind over the sea, causing, uh, uh, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So it seems clear that God has sent that storm and God never gave up on Jonah. And lastly, God saves. From the start of the chapter, God's been bothered about salvation. He starts with a, with a kind of angle of, no, no, some people here need, need saving. And I want to do that. That's my plan 
That's my purpose. That's my will. Come on, let's do it. And you get Jonah, who's like, no, I'm all right, thanks. But he's, he's building something as a picture of salvation. That's the God that we serve. He saves us when we're disobedient and we run away. But he's got a heart to save all those that don't know him. So if you're not a believer here today, you can know that whatever storm you're going through, just like it was for the sailors on the boat, it can get calmed immediately when we turn to Jesus. When we put our trust and our faith in him. When we put the gods or the things that we hope for to one side and say, no, there's only one solution. It's Jesus. It's good. It's encouraging. And God is so bothered about saving people, he's willing to put a giant fish in the middle of a story from thousands of years ago that we still talk about today just to make a point that it's possible. And I'll make it possible. He's not pandering to us. He won't let us just do, do our own thing and ruin his plan while we are disobedient. No. He's building his church. He's promised he's going to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So my question is, why would we want to keep running? Why not embrace that? Think of it as an adventure, despite how scary it might be. We'll look at a little bit what happens in a couple of weeks uh, when he gets to Nineveh. Um, but I'd like, I'd like us to pray now. I'll put a couple questions that just want you to think about as you go away today. Might be that you're struggling to hear God or you're, you're running from something. Be good for you to pray about those things and not just sort of leave them swirling around your head. Sometimes like, oh yeah, that really, that hits me and that, that's relevant today. And then by pudding, in a few hours, we've forgotten it and we haven't done anything about it. Or like the sailors, when the storms come, who do you cry out to? Maybe you don't yet know Jesus. Why not? You just you know, to put your trust in God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for your perseverance. Thank you for your voice that speaks even in the middle of the storms that seem to rage around us. Lord, will we see all of these as your grace uh, pulling us back to you. And Lord, we thank you for our friends, our family in the streets around us. Lord, help us to be humbled by them. Not arrogant. Help us to cry out to you for their sake and be obedient in your call to take the gospel. In your mighty name. Amen.